You've joined the Betamax Video Club, rewinding back to our favourite films of the 1980s. My name's Rich Nelson, and tonight I've rented Def Wish Free. Watching it with me is John Rain from Smirchpod. Hi, John, how are you? I'm very well, how are you? I'm good, and uh, welcome back. This is your second appearance after Superman 2. Yay! And uh, it's a canon classic that you've chosen for us tonight. Yes. How come Death Wish Free? Why did you bring it to my door? Ah, oh, I was obsessed with this growing up. I had a real sort of pang for action films and horror films when I was growing up, and uh, my parents were friends with the guy who owned the video shop, so I had a very loose arrangement that I could just go and rent whatever I liked. And I, me, me and my dad quite liked watching action films together. And for some reason, Death Wish Three was one that we quite liked returning to. I think I think we could see. I mean, I don't know if we could, but I think we knew it was shit, but <laughs> we really enjoyed it even even though it was shit. And um, the canon, all those canon films from that time, they seem to have some sort of a, a sort of elderly man as the lead action hero in them. And I think this is the pinnacle of, of examples. Well, this is one that, um, I mean, we talked about on Twitter before the recording. My dad was massively into Charles Bronson around the sort of dirty dozen mm. time, but it was one that he shielded me from, I think. Um, speaking to my mum about it recently, she said, oh, yeah, he didn't want you to watch it. Uh, it didn't stop him getting me uh, Predator and Robocop, which <laughs> I'm not going to argue were probably more violent. But this one, it's almost regarded as one of the pinnacle of canon's achievements it was so bonkers and ridiculous and yet it seems to be very much beloved by people in that sort of nostalgic way yeah i mean basically it's such a key change from the first two i mean the, f the first one in particular i suppose is a an action thriller albeit it was very heavily judged at the time and of course the clearly misjudged bruce willis remake but i mean this one is it's more of a cartoon than a film, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. It's 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 plugged right into that eighties aesthetic of the hero is essentially a superhero, and wherever he goes, he fixes everything, and he's just completely bulletproof. And uh, it's just like this force of nature, and and having Charles Bronson play that part is a bit strange, considering he's I think he's like fifty eight at the time. I think it was more than that. It might be, yeah. And of course, it doesn't stop him getting his way with the the young lady who I did actually make a note of was 32 years younger than him at the time of filming. Yeah, he was 63 at the time. Yeah, he's uh, shopping in the junior miss department. Why not? Because it's bad, that's why. He's bad and she liked a bit of rough. And he's ahead of a bit of rough. <laughs> and this film, I mean, I'd and I'll be honest, I'd never seen it before. Hmm. Um, funny enough, my, my cousin sort of suggested I watch it quite recently and this this was the first time yeah. and he said that you'll like it because it's filmed in london and I said, mm -hmm. well and obviously i knew michael winner was the director and it being canon it's any co corner they can cut this film basically opens in new york uh yeah. bronson gets on a bus seems to head to port authority and then manages to get a bus to brixton it's yeah good lambeth i think it is yeah, and bear in mind this was filmed in 85, mm. uh, not that long after the Brixton riots. Yeah. That must have been a, a bit of a shock for the locals, seeing all this stuff going on. It probably saved on production costs, though, in terms of making it look like a shithole. I'm not saying Brixton's a shithole, it's not. No, well, now it's very up and coming. I think it's uh, yeah. one of those cool places to live, apparently. Apparently. Yeah, if you're Charles Bronson, maybe not. Yeah, I think there's a, I think there's a couple of bit more bit, bits in this that are done in New York. The bit where his um, girlfriend, spoiler alert, is murdered, that looks like it's on location. I think the thing I saw said it was around 85% of it was filmed in London. 
Yeah, that makes sense. It just seems very much like they had some stuff building set up and I know a lot of it was filmed in old Lambeth Hospital and bits around Brixton. So I suppose, as you say, it wouldn't have taken a lot to chuck a few bricks around. It would probably double the price. Hmm. The film opens. It's it's not exactly subtle. It's him on a bus heading into New York to see his friend. We've got the shaky camera, what sounds like porn music until the credit comes up and says it's Jimmy Page. Uh, they cheated there as well. Jimmy Page did the soundtrack for Death Wish 2. He didn't have anything to do with Death Wish 3. Uh, they reused his score from Death Wish 2. The bits where it kind of goes, wow, that's the Jimmy Page. Otherwise, it's not him, it's somebody else. I wonder if he gave his permission for that, knowing canon films, probably not. Probably not. He turns up to visit his old friend who, now there's no context to this, because why would there be? The local youths are breaking in, doing a bit of an aggravated burglary on him, saying it's collection time, 20 bucks and you get us out of here. Yeah, he wouldn't pay protection. I don't know, it seems to be a retirement home almost of elderly people, elderly couples living in this block of flats getting targeted by Bill from Bill and Ted and uh, the sort of drunk from Superman 3. It was, yeah, yeah, not a bad little sort of racket they've got going on if they're paying up regularly. No, and this film's chocker full of uh, American actors that lived in England. Well, we touched on this with the Superman 2 pod, didn't we? Because this was around when the early 80s, and I mean, half of them seem to have been in, in a Bond film, oh. just looking through IMDb. I mean, even I mean, Brad from Superman 3, yeah. he was in Never Say Never Again, wasn't he? And Willow. Yeah. His lawyer was the kinky admiral from Goldeneye. And the guy from Top Secret who got killed by the anal intruder. Exactly. And that's not a good way to go. No. Well, he was smiling. <laughs> In both both death scenes, wasn't he? Exactly, yeah. yeah. Really similar. I wonder if it's canon. Not like that. <laughs> I wonder if he's like his cousin. Oh, blimey. Kinky. He's part of the anal intruder universe that they're yeah. trying to get going at Warner Brothers. There'll be some dodgy moustaches in there as well, I think. <laughs> and, of course, in typical sort of cop bad timing, they turn up after his mate has been killed by these thugs. And because... Charles Bronson, or as I seem to refer to him in my notes, Deathwish, which mm. I think is his name. His name's uh, Steve Deathwish, yeah. Brother of Clive. Uh, they turn yeah. up en masse and just think, okay, well, it's clearly this old codger. Let's haul him in. And uh, they, they do refer to him as dude a lot. Yeah, the, the, the police chief mm. says dude all the time. I'm guessing it's some sort of a, uh, it alludes to westerns or something. Especially when this is, you're talking to a Charles Bronson in his 60s. In the back of Lambeth Hospital, just saying, dude, I'm the law. (laughs) Laying it down. I love um, Michael Winner's direction in this. I mean, you don't notice that when you're a kid, but it's so fucking bad. Um, (laughs) The the way he frames a shot at one point where the guy's got a replica gun on his desk as a paperweight, and he frames a shot at one point like it's sticking out of the guy's groin. (laughs) And then his cockroach, there's a bit where a man literally walks in, sees a cockroach on the floor, steps on it, and turns to him and goes, cockroaches, I hate them. (laughs) <laughs> like, yeah do you want to have any any more on the nose at this yeah. point or <laughs> this is it's just classic winner and, and i guess you know going on to something you did a while ago the last michael winner film i saw was bullseye yeah so, yeah i was uh disappointed to not to see any dogs going at it on the back of a flatbed 
you wouldn't have been surprised though would you no and to be fair judging by the stuff he manages to cram in towards the end of the film it's uh there's probably something in the background there's um there's something about De- steve deathwish is that um, I, I figured out he's like unlucky alf from the far show <laughs> rather than everywhere he goes something bad happens to him something bad happens to people he knows because his wife is killed or raped or killed i don't she, i think she is killed in the first one yeah she's killed and in the, the second one. one his daughter is raped and killed and his maid and then in this one he just ha- he's not even got to his mate's house and he's dead he's on the way that'll do so just knowing he's on the way the grim reaper's like all oh, right steve deathwish is on the way i'll go and kill him I've got to give him something to do but he, as you as you mentioned, as he arrives and finds Charlie dead, Charlie says, look after my stuff while I'm away, and then dies. But the police arrive just at that moment because they've heard uh, the, the residents call the police after doing nothing for about 15 minutes. Well, it was nice that the, was it the old Jewish couple who was sitting there going, hmm, yeah, maybe I should call the police. Yeah. That's nice. There's lots of shots of people looking worriedly at the noise, like they used to it, like, oh. Oh no, what's that? Not again. Poor Charlie. They're at it again. If only the cat from Charlie Says would have been there, he'd have, he'd have helped Charlie, wouldn't he? <laughs> Charlie Says, you should stop beating him up. He was actually just dead in the, in the, in the alley with her. Probably thought he was a cockroach. He was probably smoking crack around the back. Him and Giggler. Mm. Steve Deathwish gets taken yeah. to the most cliched film jail which they decided that the one in Stir Crazy wasn't weird enough. Yeah. So they've got him in with some lunatics, people fighting, laughing Nazis, and the best quality ultra HD CCTV going. Uh, and this is where Brad from Superman is got his really weird little haircut, shaved sort of right down the middle of his centre parting. Running it, it's almost like his little fiefdom. Yeah. I mean, they, they try to... I mean, obviously, Deathwish gives... He's he's not going to take any shit from this lot, no. But, but yeah, it's very weird. They obviously decide that right, he's the whether he's the soft touch or whatever that uh, they're going to have him in the jail. It's all a bit weird. Well, I read that the original screenplay included a male on male prison rape scene. I don't think I'm quite ready enough, even at this age, <laughs> to see Charles Bronson either as the you know the bowler or the wicketkeeper. I wish I was dead. Yeah, <laughs> Brad. I'm going to call him Brad. He gets Let's taken out. Brad. Yeah, he gets let out early. I don't know if it's for good behaviour, but when they say it might take a couple of hours to process and he gets very irrationally angry about it and then sees the camera and goes, oh, yeah. Well, he says, he says, uh, he says something like, unlucky asshole, I've got a lawyer. And I thought, how have you got a lawyer? Does he basically live in a squat? Well, this is the, um, the legal aid, I suppose. <clears throat> this is what we're paying for. Everyone's got a right to a fair gang non-prison rapes and even if you are lana lang's alcoholic ex-boyfriend i will fight for your rights to have a lawyer to be fair i mean he, he needed a lawyer probably to save him from richard Pryor getting him pissed he's lucky he's lucky it was only booze he probably lost his hair sort of free basing cocaine like Pryor did well we see some of that later on as well don't we yeah but this is when the cop mr i am the law judge dread mm-hmm. he grabs let's call him judge dread from now on actually lieutenant judge dread they get him out of the cell and they obviously he's obviously read about him through the files he i can't remember was he wasn't in the first two films was he this no judge dread no he's obviously heard about him and sort of recognizes him you're you're steve Deathwish, aren't you and rather than in in some situations they'll try and smooth things over and oh, well, either you can go off and we're sorry and we won't say any more about it, or you can go and kill all those fuckers. Yeah, well, they don't get on at first, do they? Because he throws him back in the jail for punching him. But then he gets him out and basically says, you know, 
Well, yeah, first of all, he has a meeting with all these policemen and he says, look, the crime's really bad. What are you doing about it? And all these men are like, oh, I don't know. So he gets Bronson out and he says, I want you to go back to being a vigilante, but you're going to work for me and you're going to report to me. You're my vigilante. You're mine, Steve Deathwish. <laughs> and funny enough, the, the lieutenant from that little group was, he was the guy from Main Strike in A View to a Kill, wasn't he? You're right. That's where I've seen him before. Yes, of course. Another British, another American actor living in Britain. And I suppose he'd have been in the scenes in, was it Aylesbury Way where they filmed the mine? Amberley. Yeah, I've been there. Yeah, sort of pictures. Very nice. Yeah, it's very nice. Thanks for complimenting my pictures. <laughs> Immediately, Steve gets released, goes back to Charlie's uh, flat because, of course, the full detailed forensics didn't take very long. They've just closed it up. But because. Charlie's paid the rent for the rest of the month, thanks to Mr. Exposition himself, his neighbour, Bennett. Holy fuck. I've just realised. Sorry, I've just realised something. Just while you were talking there, I just suddenly thought I should look in to see if Brad from Superman 3 is still alive, which th- thankfully he is. Oh, good. But his dad is the old man from Robocop. Yeah, someone mentioned that on Twitter the other day. She's... I did not know that. Sorry, sorry. That, that is interesting because, I don't know, but was that filmed in England? Robocop, No. Dallas. Dallas, Detroit, same thing. Bennett explains he's he's very helpful. He's got by far the most stellar CV of anyone involved in the picture, uh, even more so than Bronson. It's quite scary. Yeah. He's, yeah, yeah. I, I said to my wife, when he walks in, I said to my wife, oh, there should be a bit where he says, hey, Charles Bronson, it's me, Martin Balsam. I was in 12 Angry Men. Hey, we need to do this for money, right? I suppose they've all got bills to pay. He doesn't look well in this. He doesn't look like he can actually walk. No. And amazingly, he still lives for another 10 years or so after the film's made. I was just going to say the same thing, but he managed to live 10 years more. He looks like he's on his last legs here. But he says that Charlie spoke about Steve Deathwish all the time. Super best friends. And then he says, right, this is my favourite line of the whole film. Well, it isn't, but it's one of them. He says to Steve Deathwish, you missed the funeral. I thought he was in prison for one night. <laughs> So, so they got him because he says the you know, cops dusted yeah. for prints they don't care and I'm like what well, so they they got his body put it in the morgue and then literally the next morning buried him unless he was a, of one of the major religions that insist on being buried within 24 hours that's possible we don't know him do we no I mean I, I'd hate to judge there might have been some cold cuts left out or something just as a as a nice welcome that's back true. anyway Steve Deathwish he's out, mm-hmm. out of prison at the uh, the whim of Judge Dredd, chases the bag snatcher and grabs a crowbar just to sort of show the intent. Doesn't need a gun. He's got a crowbar. Then the gang start harassing the woman who was in Star Trek. Um, yeah, Maria Marina Sirtis. What's her name? Troy. Troy. That's the one. Yeah. Yeah. Because she is this. I think this is the first bit where she's in the car, and then yeah. uh, Bill from Bill and Ted jumps on the front, just basically shouting, "Hey, bitch!" in that very sort of charming wild stallions way. Yeah. Yeah. She manages to, to get him off. Not that way. No. Setting the tone. There's not a lot of build up. No, there's not a lot of subtlety either. No. This is a shithole. This sort of thing happens. Just you wait. Yeah. Steve Deathwish buys a car as bait. Now he's obviously got a big wad of cash because I suppose he's a former architect. He's got, he must have some savings. So he buys a car as bait for the local youths. Goes for some, cabbage with his neighbourly couple. It's very respectful though. I think maybe it's an age thing where he says, let me go and clean up. And he goes and gets on a nice sort of jacket and tie, make an effort. 
you know, if I went for my neighbours now, it'd be flip-flops and a hoodie. Particularly when, when he goes around there and he says, uh, when he gets introduced to them, he says, when I walked into the building, I could smell something beautiful. <laughs> and they say, oh, that'll be our steamed cabbage. No, stuffed cabbage. Yeah. And like, oh, fuck, I'm not eating that fucking shit. Have you got anything nicer than that? To be fair, if I walked into my house thinking there was steamed or stuffed cabbage, I'd just assume the dog was unwell. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe that Charlie's body was been put back in his room. Yeah, maybe the food that they left out had started to turn. Now, the the two goons turn up to steal the car. Now, they're making quite heavy work of it. They're not just trying to... They're not very subtle. No. It gives us the sort of first real sort of, this is death wish, this is punishment, all this. because. Um, it doesn't take long because he comes out and sees the f- the first one says, hey what's the problem with the car they of course you know elevate things that there's no need for it fuck you old man get out of my fucking face who are you we're stealing the fucking car what's it to you it's my car i think it's safe to say there's no star wars issues here death wish shoots first yeah he does and then he goes back to his stuffed cabbage yeah very calm and although there is a continuity bit here i don't understand mm. Because we find out that the elderly Jewish couple who he's having a lovely dinner with, Martin Balsam, Bennett, tells them they live on the ground floor. Mm. And Steve Deathwish goes out, shoots these people, then goes back. And we see him coming down the stairs to return to the meal. I think, well, how did he do that? Because they're on the ground floor. Surely he'd just walk out, shoot them, come back. There must be so much rubble from old Brixton. The cops arrive uh, really late. And it seems to be a thing where if anyone dies at night... They don't turn up till the next morning oh. because, you know, they've got to light the set. And the gang start, I wouldn't say it's a riot. I mean, we could save that for later, but it's almost like the closing scenes of Police Academy where it all goes a little bit hairy. Um, yeah. And the police, they just seem so cowardly and decide, fuck it, you can have the streets. We don't mind. But at this point, um, Steve Deathwish tells everybody, don't worry, my friend Wildy is coming. Oh, Wildy. For those who don't understand and... You really should. Wildy is the make of the gun. Now, mm. it's a 475 Magnum, so even bigger than Dirty Harry's. Yeah, and didn't he say that it takes condensed elephant gun cartridges? And to the point where the owner of the firm, Wildy Moore, mm. and I did write, yeah. write this down. Yeah, it's good research, this. He says, um, there's a spike in Wildy sales every time Death Wish Freeze on TV. Yeah. That's good marketing because he's actually shown in yeah. the credits at the end, isn't he? As some sort of a firearms consultant. Yeah. I suppose you'd need one for Death Wish 3. You would. It's just like every time there's a mass shooting in America, gun sales go up. Death Wish 3 is on the same level as an Amer- a mass shooting in America. Maybe they should show it less. But then. I think they should. But then it's so widely available and, and people are missing out on this real cultural gem. It's so wildly available. Nicely done. Thanks. And then. I watched the Canon documentary Electric Boogaloo, sort of in between yes. this and the film. And now most of the section on Death Wish, or Death Wish 3, is Alex Winter, or Bill S. Preston, basically slagging off Charles Bronson and Michael Winner. It's strange, because while they're quite openly saying that the film's a joke and they piss Bronson off while doing it, which is a big mistake, yeah. he's sitting there knowing full well that Right, when's Bill and Ted Free coming? I can talk about them because they're dead. And um, I don't know if he'd say that while he was alive, but apparently he had a British passport, which I think is why he was able to work on the set. Yes, Mm. that's right. Yeah, a lot of actors, I think a lot of actors, I don't know why, something must have happened, but some young actors came over here in the 80s to work because Bill Paxton was over here for a while and he met his wife on a London bus, Uh, the late Bill Paxton, RIP. 
Um, that's why he's an aliens because he was here. Um, and Michael Bien, no, he didn't. He got drafted in at the last minute, didn't he? Because the original guy got fired. Let's talk about aliens. <laughs> but this is when he, Steve, sets up the sort of main DIY, the nail beds inside his window. Yes, but we also get um, Brad from Superman 3 going to visit his gang and seeing that there's a different guy in charge. Yeah, that didn't take long, did it? No, and he murders him. And uh, this gang he's in charge of seems to be populated by not only um, Bill from Bill and Ted, but sort of unemployed ballet dancers and, and, and dancers. It's like the one gang from West Side Story that couldn't dance or sing. You expect them to break out into some choreographed number. Yeah, because there's one point there's this black guy with dreadlocks who's wearing he wears these tiny t-shirts. At one point he gets punched by Charles Bronson and he falls like a, in a sort of way a ballet dancer mm. would, just like perfectly choreographed, fall to the floor and then leaps straight back up. It's like something like a WWF wrestling. Yeah, it's almost like he's going to go, what are you going to do about it, stud? Oh, clicking finger thing. Gently walking backwards. Was it yeah. sashaying? Yeah, he lays a trap. He lays a, he lays a, a board with nails on it and, and a plank. Yeah, because the, the, board, the board with the nails was inside his window because he saw one muddy footprint. Mm. Of course, next time, because we have to have the, the callback to this one where the next time it's a bloody footprint. Yeah. He installs in the Jewish couple's house... Uh, very, it, it's almost like the joke with a standing on the end of a rake. Only this one is a pl- yeah. plank with a blade in the end that takes out someone's teeth. Yeah, because you get that moment where they're like, "What are those?" And he goes, "They're teeth," and he's really excited about it. What are those teeth? He's literally just ripped someone's teeth out. This is when, in an alternate universe, he'd start putting them on a, a necklace around his neck and parading them as trophies. Actually, this is what happens next. Is horrible. Um, Troy from Star Trek is uh, taken. She's blue, blue, in the words of Michael Winner, she's brutally raped and killed. Brutally raped and died from complications from a broken arm. And you get the doctor who comes out and says, I'm afraid Mrs. Rodriguez has expired. <laughs> I thought, what the fuck says that? Would you say that to the, the husband of someone who's just died? Who had previously been raped and on the phone, oh yeah, she'll be fine. Yeah, she's expired. She's expired. He should be fired. Yeah, doctor bedside manner there. But yeah, I mean, that that's one of the more strange deaths in the film. And obviously it's a very horrible rape scene that weirdly isn't as horrible as the one from Death Wish 2. Yeah, that's horrible. Yeah, and I think that was... But the story behind um, Troy from Star Trek, Yeah, you, you've seen that um, electric boogaloo where she says that she was left out on that mattress and wasn't allowed to move. That's pretty grim. That she's lying on a mattress and I'll be honest, I mean, I watched it in HD it looked quite cold. Apparently the lighting guy was putting a coat on her and got shouted at by Winner. Take it off. It reminds me of in, um, sorry to jump around, but in Friday the 13th part three, something similar happened with an actress who was in a dinghy on a river and had to be naked. And um, she had the same complaints that she was cold and the director wouldn't do anything about it to the point where the only person who actually stood up and said, look, fucking do something about it was the guy playing Jason Voorhees. It says a lot, doesn't it, when the, the actors have to club together. Yeah, yeah. There weren't any Teamsters or, or many union reps on site when uh, this was being done. It sounds like Winner was basically running it as his own little parlour. And then that's what we find out later on when, yeah. again, jumping around, the uh, the other lady about to get raped. This is a weirdly recurring theme from Michael Winner films. Um, yeah, it turned out he... Yeah. They were actually dating in real life she said oh yeah that's pretty normal for him he just treated me like a slave 
this is when Troy from Star Trek has been raped and died because of her broken arm. Husband upset, but yeah. it doesn't take him a long time to to get over it because he then sort of event, tries to avenge her by joining Steve Deathwish on his murderous rampage. Well, first we get the the, the first significant murder of the uh, the film. Really, is um, yeah. part, I mean, revenge murder is um, Steve Deathwish murders the Giggler. Poor knockoffs from Batman. Yeah, the, the Giggler's thing is that he steals things from people, but he runs so fast no one can catch him. So then, uh, Steve Deathwish walks around the neighborhood with a cat with a camera over his shoulder, in a, a kind of jaunty fashion, and the Giggler can't resist the bait, so he steals it. And Steve Deathwish draws out Wildy and fires it. And what they've done, they've added a sound effect to Wildy, which is kind of a... So it's very satisfying when he fires it. And it goes, it basically blows a massive hole in the Giggler's chest. And he falls down, and he's literally got a hole in his chest, and there's blood splitting out. And you get this music like... And everyone comes out and goes, oh my god, he shot the Giggler. And they all start applauding. I'm like, he just blew a hole in him. Should we really be celebrating this? Oh my lord! It's the creep that stole my pocketbook three weeks ago! Alright, alright! And as the coppers mentioned, there's not a lot of him left. No. It's a strange scene, and, and I guess this is part of, you know, almost makes Steve Deathwish like a sort of beacon of the local community. He's bringing these guys together yeah. through extreme violence. Yeah. And the cartoon element of the fact that he's inspiring them to take control of their community with elephant guns and these browning anti-aircraft guns and all this. God. it's. Bloody bonkers. Because Charles Bronson wasn't happy with the violence in this, you know. I suppose the one and a half million dollars he got paid probably uh, softened yeah. the blow somewhat. Yeah. Um, but I was waiting for that camera to... I don't know why, a part of me just thought the way he was walking around with it was it was going to blow up. Mm. Or there was something booby-trapped about this camera rather than just a, obviously the, the bait for, for Giggler. Yeah. And obviously, the the gun. Wildy did its work. Yeah, apparently, when he'd finished filming, Winner went back and filmed extra gory bits, and Bronson wasn't happy about that. But obviously, not too unhappy because he did two more Deathfish films. Yeah, although Winner didn't direct those ones, did he? No, this was Winner's last one. But Bronson did two more. Finished uh, his last one was in 1995, and he was 73. Christ. Which sounds ridiculous, but um, Arnie's still going, and he's about the same age, and Stallone. Stallone's doing another Rambo, isn't he? Yeah, and this is the thing. I mean, I, I think Schwarzenegger seems to be seems a little bit more accepting of of his age and the fact that he's had some rather serious health issues. Mm. He seems a little bit more like he's in these films, but he's taken a back seat. Stallone, yeah, he's supposed to be doing another Rambo where he's almost these like super soldiers. He's in the new, the sequel to Rocky Four, is it Creed Two, the one with Dolph Lundgren uh, in it as well. Yeah, and he's still doing these sort of straight to video ones they're a sequel to escape plan i think as well escape plan 2 yeah with dave batista i'd hope better for him but then i saw he's in a film that's set with uh pierce brosnan inside the old west ham ground so uh, yeah yeah what's it called um 
Final score, I think it is. There you go. Yeah. I see what they did there. Pierce Brosnan playing a Russian and Dave Batista playing a probably an aggrieved West Ham fan. I think that was the plot from an old Van Damme film, wasn't it? Yeah, sudden mm. death. Pierce, Bro- Pierce Brosnan, Russian. He should slow down. <laughs> it's a change of pace from his uh, not Jerry Adams role in that Jackie Chan film. I haven't watched that yet. Actually quite good. Is it? Yeah, I think it was directed by Martin Campbell. Oh. And, yeah, Pierce Brosnan was playing, not Jerry Adams, Jackie Chan, again, being probably a similar age to Charles Bronson. He was doing all his standard fare, but uh, at least he did show signs of age. And, again, avenging a a murdered child. Why not? I think that's just par for the course these days. I can't believe they remade it with Bruce. Uh, sorry, I can't believe they made Death Wish in 2018, though. I, I wouldn't have thought Bruce Willis was desperate for cash. Then you look and see he's done about 100 direct-to-video films lately. Yeah. The amount that I see when they pop up on iTunes or on Sky saying you know, Bruce Willis stars in, I was like, oh, didn't even know that was a film. Yeah, he's done loads. Yeah, you just think, read the room, guys. There's mass shootings all over the place. There's right-wing nutters everywhere wanting to shoot black people. And this yeah. is a film about a guy who's walking around shooting black people. It's, um, you know, we, we hark back to our days, and I know we used to watch these films, but these films at least had some, they were that ridiculous that it seemed extraordinary. Whereas yeah. now it's almost like a documentary. People demand realism these days, that's the problem. I mean, you can't very well have someone blowing up someone four feet away from them with a bazooka and then just standing up afterwards and looking out of the hole in the wall. And the local old people cheering. Yeah. Yeah, that's my favourite bit of this film. I'm sure we'll get there, but the bit where he blows up the baddie, spoiler alert, with a bazooka, an anti-tank missile, he says earlier. Yeah. And he's sat at this table. The guy stood four, five feet away from him. He blows him and the side of the house up, and then when the smoke clears, him and um, Judge Dredd just literally stand up like they've just like the guy's just fallen out of the window. How should we write this one off, Judge? Yeah, it's he an says, accident. You, you, you better get out of here. <laughs> Someone called Steve Deathwish probably would have one of these anti-tank missiles just stood next to the phone. Yeah, I'm surprised it wasn't in his like leg like Robocop. He takes his shoe off and his foot's a bazooka. These strange contraptions he's been uh, building like in his little MacGyver shed. Yeah. But after we've had the end of the giggler, Things take mm. a romantic turn because um, the she a sort of a defense lawyer. I think she was. Yeah. She met uh, Deathwish when he was in prison. Yeah, and, and and she said to the policeman, "Why are you holding him?" The policeman said, "Because I wanna." And she said, "Oh, you better let him go because you're breaking all sorts of rules." And when they eventually do let him go and say to him, "We want you to go and kill people," she says, "Are you going to press charges?" And he goes, "No, life's too short." Well, for him, yeah. Also turns out life's quite short for her too. Yeah. Bronson, once he gets his end away in her very posh basement, they he sort of lies about liking opera. And even after, I think it was after they'd slept together, he was saying about how his wife had been murdered and that's why yeah. he's the way he is. I suppose you wouldn't. Talk. Yeah. I mean, I guess you wouldn't tell her that before the relations. No, no, no. But, um, she had a bucket list actually, which is to to fuck a very old man. So she died very happy. Well, she died while he was collecting his mail from a PO box, like an old man. Yeah, he set it up. Yeah, it wasn't even anything important either. No, it was just uh, it's probably a jazz mag or something. Well, if it, wasn't that his Amazon Prime delivery of bullets and the? I think that was the anti tank gun. 
that he'd ordered. No, that was earlier. Or was that earlier? Yeah, he got wildly earlier because he'd already killed the giggler with yeah, it. Yeah, okay. Well, Oh, you mean his rocket launcher? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, it probably was, actually. You're right. So he's gone to pick up that while uh, Brad from Superman 3, then he punched her and lets the handbrake off the car. Yes, and because it's 1985, the car has to explode when it comes into contact with another car. Well, that was the first thing I thought was it was like an episode of The Simpsons. Yeah. Where that happens. It's like when Hans Molman gets blown up. <laughs> yeah. Football yeah. in the groin. Yeah. Um, so then we cut to Brad from Superman 3 helping the Cuban is it uh, free basing, basically getting uh, getting his drugs in, while Deathwish goads Brad out, knowing that... Um, so Brad... Which one's got the submachine gun? That was Brad, wasn't it? But him and his Bennett. gang... Bennett had the submachine gun. Oh, of course. Oh, you mean the Uzi? Oh, the Uzi, yeah. Yeah, sorry. Yes, it was. I thought you were talking about when Bennett came to the window with Charlie's gun. Yes, Brad had the Uzi, and um, Deathwish is roaming around at night, and they chase him out. Yeah, and he throws he, the guy from Aliens, I can't remember yeah. which soldier it is, off the roof. Because he drops wildly, so he has to get a little bit creative. Yes. Yeah, and he literally throws a man off the roof to his death. Well, at least he didn't use any weapons in that one, I suppose. Yeah, he's a pacifist now. I suppose they could write that off as an accident as well. well that could have been. Accidents happen all the time. The Cuban gets thrown off the roof, then Brad slits the old woman's throat, because this yeah. is while Charlie, not Charlie, Bennett's in hospital. Yeah, basically, because, what, we, what yeah. we found out is that Bennett shows Deathwish that when Charlie said, look after my stuff, he wasn't talking about pornography or, or indeed, like, kidnapped Moroccan children. He was referring to two submachine guns he had in a wardrobe that he'd taken back from the war. So when everybody, all the gang, turned on Bennett, Bennett came to the door with one of these submachine guns. But unfortunately, he couldn't get it to fire. So they beat the shit out of him. I'm surprised he lived through that, really. Yeah. They throw him, which is obviously a stuntman, off of a fire a fire escape. And then when he's on the floor, they start kicking and punching him. And it's just ironic, or poor timing, I suppose, is there are two of these huge browning guns. He has to get the one that doesn't work. It's like rain on your wedding day. Like a free ride when you've already paid. Not long afterwards, they blow up Bennett's shop because Bennett hasn't died. He's still in hospital. Yeah. And as he's coming out, the gang blow up his taxi repair shop. I think that's before he went to hospital. I think they start picking on him then and then pick on him when he's Oh, home. that's when he gets the gun. That's when they nearly yeah. kill him. Right. Yeah, he's in hospital for the rest of the film. Yeah. Because Bronson goes to see him and the police want to arrest Bronson. So he sneaks and out. He goes out, of char- he goes out of Bennett's window. And the, and the Judge Dredd goes in his room. And then he, he says to Judge Dredd, I guess he had to go. And uh, then Bronson goes back to the neighbourhood and decides that it's time to get the other submachine gun. And at this point, um, Troy from Star Trek's widow comes along. And he's got, what is it, like a pump gun or something? Yeah, it's like a little pipe that shoots. Yeah, it's like a bicycle pump that shoots bullets. But you have to pump yeah. it. And it's really odd. So you'd think... But then he he holds the bullets for death. Yeah, he holds the uh, bullet chain thing for the submachine gun, and they literally just go alleyway to alleyway, gunning down people for about ten minutes. The first scene where he has this gun, obviously he's got to have the widow helping him out because this gun's probably quite heavy. He's just standing on the balcony. Everyone's standing there. All these gang members stood below. He's like, right, I've had enough of this shit. Just raises them down. Dozens of I mean, them. this is fucking Derek Bird, isn't it? I mean, if this was if this was on the news, <laughs> you'd be like, a man today walked around his neighbourhood gunning people down. 
you'd think there'd be some sort of police helicopters and all this turn up, but they just send a few local patrol cars not doing anything. Yeah. It is like the it is like the final act of Police Academy, except written by or directed by Michael Winner. This is um only oh, one year apart from a guy called Bernard Goetz or Getz, who, who was on a subway in New York and he shot four robbers to death. And he was seen as some sort of local hero, wasn't he? Yeah. And you think just be a bit more responsible rather than showing mm. a man wandering around his neighbourhood with a machine gun. But I guess it's in Brixton, so it's okay. Michael Ryan was probably watching this. Oh, yeah, that was what, 87? 87, yeah. Yeah. So, oh, I'm, not, I'm, for, I'm, not, I'm not blaming videos or anything. I just think it's fucking yeah. mental that there's a bit in a film where a man wanders around his street with a machine gun gunning people down. And even then, when he runs out of bullets, it's like, all right, which of my other guns shall I use? And also, it doesn't say much for Steve Deathwish's personality, because you know when the widow turns up and he says, look, I've got this pathetic bicycle pump that shoots one bullet. You'd think Steve Deathwish would go, look, I've got Wildy. Why don't you have the other gun I've got that yeah. I used when I shot the people who were messing with my car that holds more than one bullet and you might stand a chance of being alive at the end of this. But no, he lets him go out there with that bicycle pump. I guess it's on his head. Deathwish, selfish, more like. Selfish three. <laughs> Steve Deathwish three. Yeah. Some of the sort of shootouts in this were almost like out of the naked gun. They were so close together. Sort of like, right, I'm going to hide behind this rock, you hide behind yeah. the barrel. And it turned out that, yeah, they're about three feet apart. But Charles Bronson showing off some, some handy moves there. Yeah. There's also lots of setups in this that are clearly just made for somebody who, a stuntman, to fall off a roof. Yeah. He's literally on the side of a... There's one point where a stuntman is literally perched on the side of a wall at the top of the roof just so he can fall off. <laughs> well, I've got to tick this one off my list before I can get signed off as a full stuntman. So, uh, yeah. yeah. If you can show me getting uh, falling off the side of a makeshift house. We do get the, the other rape. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I've, I've never been on, on that side of a riot. I don't know if... You know, I know there's a bit of a mob mentality and all that, but shouldn't they just try and break into Rumbelows or Radio Rentals and nick a video rather than, uh, let's do a bit of rape? Well, I guess, you know, each to their own. Luckily, uh, Steve's there to save the young lady. Also, the, the almost Mrs. Winner. Yes. Yeah. Most <laughs> Michael Winner thing, by the way. You know how he had a really shit sense of humour? Uh, very much so. He edited this film, but just to be a bit cheeky, he used the name Arnold Crust. Now, the film says it's edited by Arnold Crust. It's actually edited by Winner, and you can tell because it's really badly edited. It seems like there were a lot of pseudonyms. I think it, didn't the writer didn't want his name associated with the film. And then oh, really? Using a false name. Oh, yeah, you're right. Don Jacoby wrote it as Michael <laughs> Edmonds. Yeah. And Don Jacoby also wrote Arachnophobia. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, really? Bit of a gear change. Straight after this, he wrote Arachnophobia. Oh, and the Invaders from Mars remake for Toby Hooper and Life Force. So he's obviously the canon man. Yes, so he, he made a few appearances in that Electric Boogaloo. Oh, God, and the really, really shit John Carpenter film Vampires. I, I did download, I haven't got around to watching it, the, the other canon documentary. Oh, I've done the same thing, yeah, I yeah. can't face watching it, because apparently it's a bit of a fluff piece. Well, yeah, because it's by, or at least they were involved. Yeah, Golden and Globus. Yeah, so I, really I, I heard that mentioned on that How Did This Get Made did an interview with John Cryer about Superman 4. And I think he recommended yeah. that there was a lot more about Superman Four anyway in that in that film. But um, I can imagine All right, let's check it out. the the writing about this was probably Death Wish Free in Venice after the foiled rape again. So we've got community vigilantes, citizens on patrol, 
they are getting involved in the booby traps and the mass murder. It's almost genocide, really, isn't it? Yeah, because it is. Brad has brought or called some mates saying, well, we need some help to get rid of this old codger. Um, so we've got renter mob turning up basically on motorbikes with Molotov cocktails. And it's... again, just just imagine this being reported on the news. You'd think it was just bollocks. We, the, the, the lead story would be one man has murdered about 50 people. Self-defense. Yeah. Is it self-defense when you're literally wandering around with a submachine gun? Well, not even a submachine gun, an actual machine gun. Anti-tank gun. And wildy. Yeah. But uh, he's got a bit of community spirit. It's like during the London riots when people came out with brooms. He's got them coming out with uh, booby traps and... And and pistols. That everyone has. And shotguns. Bill from Bill and Ted is shot by Judge Dredd. then pairs up with steve death wish this is like where it becomes a western they're sort of basically walking down probably brixton high street just shooting any fucker in sight yeah um the renter mob motorcycle gang who look like they're from the village people they basically all get it as well because death wish and judge dread just fucking go postal yeah it's just about body count at this point i think i don't know if there was any scores for films held at this time there used to be a YouTube account where they it does movie deaths. I don't know if they did Death Wish Three, but there used to be one where it just literally totted up every death. I remember that was the joke in one of the was it the Hot Shots films? Hot Shots Part Two. Yeah, yeah. It was like more than RoboCop, more than this, more than that. Yeah, because Rambo Three held the record for a while. God, that's probably I believe. Four. This film is very similar to Rambo Four, just the sort of gratuitous gunning down of anything that fucking moves. Yeah. And the final scene where Judge Dredd and Death Wish head back to Charlie's. Obviously, they've got, they've got to have a sit down. And yeah, because Death Wish is, uh, he went to fire Wildy and he's run out of bullets, so he has to go back and get more. Yeah, and he's uh, he's making a phone call. It's probably ordering his meals on wheels. Judge Dredd has a little sit down in the armchair after murdering a cockroach. Another one. Yeah. Brad rocks up. Poor reaction time. His death was uh, memorable. Yes. As I mentioned earlier, he gets literally blown up with a bazooka. And Charles Bronson and Judge Dredd are sat four feet away from it. And as the smoke clears, they just stand up and then look out the window like, oh, good, he's gone. And then it's like in um, The Phantom Menace where they blow up the the master control ship for the droids. Suddenly the gang are just like, oh, let's all go then. What do we do now? Yeah, it's like there's a point where the girl in the gang, who again looks like she's come from some sort of um, drama school, she turns to some of the uh, people on the uh, estate and they look at her and they've all got weapons and she just shakes her head at all the all the other gang members and they just drop everything and run off. And I think, well, you've killed one person of this massive gang. Actually, no, you've killed about 100 of them. I don't think that would stop there, but there you go, it does. Is that like the sort of cut the head off the snake? Cut the head off the snake. That seems to be the logic here, yeah. Yeah. I don't know what the gang go and do. I mean, is Death Wish 4 where they go and suddenly realise that perhaps they've got a future? They go and work at do-it-all. Give them access to bags of lime and cement. Mm. And then the closing sequence, something like The Incredible Hulk. His work here is done. He uh, saunters off with his large bags while the... The old the fuzz and the ambulances all rock up on mass, and he just gets the hell out of dodge. Yeah, it's um he's left his mark on on Brixton slash that suburb of New York. Oh yeah, 
Yeah, so I can't remember where... I haven't seen Deathwish 4 since it came out, but I don't know where he goes next. Well, yeah, because they had a bit of a globe trot, didn't they? Because the first one was New York, the second one was LA. Yeah. Well, I suppose this one was supposed to be New York. Supposed to be New York, yeah. yeah. I wonder if they do tours of Lambeth or Brixton, like a Deathwish 3 tour. Well, apparently, I was just looking on Wikipedia that the uh, the place they filmed all this has been demolished. Ah, it's pro- probably a, an Asda. Members and footlockers. Mm. You know what film you should do? Go on. Have you ever heard of Bulletproof? Yes. Have you done it already? I haven't done it, no. It uh, is on the list. Oh, good. But, uh, I just suddenly remembered about Bulletproof. Does he call everybody in that? Your worst nightmare, butthorn. <laughs> I think watching that Boogaloo documentary, I suddenly sat there going, right, I haven't put that one on the list, I haven't talked about that one yet. Mm. So, even the, the American Ninja ones. Yeah. I used to love American Ninja 2 when I was a kid. Yeah. Like Hunger Games, <laughs> but with ninjas. And the ninjas that aren't very ninja-ish, but back in the 80s, that's what you thought a ninja was. Yeah, Michael Dudikoff. Yes. He should have been a star. Should have been. He was going to be Spider-Man at one point. Yeah. I mean, that was that, that, was the, that would have been the canon Spider-Man, I suppose. Not the, yeah. Uh, I mean, when I was growing up, Spider-Man was the, the TV movies. With Nicholas Hammond. Yeah, yeah. And two of the TV movies got released theatrically in this country. I went to see Dragon's Challenge, you know, like that. Yeah, I saw that one at the bar with him, I think. Really cultured. Yeah. I think that was a Saturday morning job. No, I can't have done it. It was 19... Oh, 1981. Maybe I did. Maybe. Anyway, I, I did rest. No, this was a, it was a, a nice return to canon because uh, when we did the Masters of the Universe episode with um, Stephen Graham, he mentioned the documentary a lot and I'm not that prick oh that that prick off Twitter yes yeah uh, everything was He-Man in Venice Skeletor in Venice <laughs> uh, I find canon films comforting because they were behind a lot of the films I had an odd affection for as a kid this being one of them there's a couple of others as well like, I did cover I remember Master of the Universe coming out and it felt as many films do when they're trying to cash in on kids things it felt way too late but I still wanted to see it and even though it was disappointing or something about it, I, I kind of liked And for a while, I kind of associated it with Christmas when I was little. Well, I think it did come out at Christmas. Did it come out at Christmas? I, I, I was down. I think, yeah, when we talked about it on the, po- the podcast then, it came out on Boxing Day 87. Uh, my fondness, basically, is Superman 4. Yes, same. Because I, I actually saw that in a Canon cinema as well. Just to, Me too. Uh, make it Make it a double special treat. Yeah, the, my cinema, my local cinema in Watford was a Canon. What is it now? It's now a hairdresser's. Because you did that list of the tweets, didn't you, of people's old cinemas? Yeah, that's lovely seeing these old... I really have a nice romantic vibe seeing the old cinemas. I mean, saying that, we do have a local cinema, an old cinema near us that's in, in Worthing. It's been lovely, lovingly restored. When I was growing up, it was the screen on the green in Islington, which thankfully is still there in most it of its... I, I did a screening there not long ago. Yeah. Uh, so that, that that felt like a proper cinema, and yeah. then um, the other one was the Holloway Odeon, which I guess is still there, but not much has changed. It's still an Odeon; it's still shite. It, it still stands. That's the main thing. Oscar Douch, Oscar Douch entertains our nation. I think that's what it is. Oh, that's what Odeon stands for. Oh, really? Yeah. Would that be get back to the times when there was the the organ at the front? It was Oscar. Yeah, Oscar Douche or Douche. Douche entertains douche. our nation. The know. guy who started the Odeon chain was a guy called Oscar Douche. You'd be delighted to see where it's gone now. Yeah. 
just, just like Ian Cineworld. <laughs> Clive View. So that was Death Wish 3. Thank you very much for renting it. Now, your smirch in its sort of former guise has yeah. come to an end, but you'll, you'll live on regenerating as the Kane scrutiny. Is that very much on the same format as Smirsh? Yeah, it's exactly the same, but rather than doing all the Bond films, we're just picking picking Michael Caine films. Have you got questions at the end already? Yes, we've we formulated questions based on Michael Caine's Twitter account. <laughs> so plenty of attic jokes. I won't give any of them away, but they're, they're, they're amazing. <laughs> and when's that going to hit our ears? I'm hoping for October. Okay. I'm going to start recording... At the beginning of September, and I'm hoping to have enough in the bank for an October start. I mean, at the time we're recording this at the end, sort of towards the end of August, but we talked about off air. You've got a couple of live shows coming up, haven't you? Yes, yeah, we're doing the Lo- London Podcast Festival on um, September the 9th. Uh, so if you want to get tickets, they're still available. I'm doing The Great Escape with Al Murray. That should be fun. Yes. Now, he did the Moonraker smash, didn't he? He did Moonraker and he did Wild Geese too. Oh, of course. Well, that'll be good because um, yeah, they're not on the podcast, so I won't name check them. The the wrestling podcast that we're also going to see that afternoon, so it should be quite f- be a good day. Yeah, wrestle me. Yeah, yes. that'll be good. Yeah, wrestle me followed by the Great Escape. It's like a comforting bank holiday. Yeah, that's a good way of looking at it. Yeah, except I'll be drunk. I, th- I thought my job was to make sure you didn't get too drunk. Well, certainly not before. Yes. Anyway. That's true. <laughs> Anyway, John, it was a pleasure to have you back. Thank you for bringing Deathwish, and uh, yeah, thank you. Yeah, and uh, look forward to hearing the Kane scrutiny when it launches. As per usual, I'll play the podcast out with the song that was number one at the time of this film's release, which uh, in the UK was the seventeenth of January, nineteen eighty-six, and it was West End Girls by the Pet Shop Boys. Oh, fantastic! I'm, I'm happy I checked this. Yeah, nice one. Anyway, so uh, here are the Pet Shop Boys, John. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And I'll speak to you soon. See you soon. Bye. Sometimes you're better off dead. There's a gun in your hand that's pointing at your head. You think you're mad. Too unstable. Kicking in chairs and knocking down tables in a restaurant in a West End town. Call the police. There's a madman around. Running down underground to a dive bar in a West End town. In a West End town, a dead end world. The East End boys and West End girls. This podcast is part of Britpod Scene, an independent network of uniquely British podcasts that's always growing. Check out BritpodScene.com or BritpodScene on Twitter to find out more. Oh.